Uh, it's still learned by many children, um, but it's, uh, I think, a little less uh, popular uh, since the proliferation of the automobile. And uh, I'm sure, though, it's familiar to, to many of you. For one of a nail, the shoe was lost. For one of a shoe, the horse was lost. For one of a horse, the rider was lost. For one of a rider, the battle was lost. For one of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the one of a horseshoe nail. Now, uh, that poem is 800 years old. And it's a classic because, first of all, it's rather easy to memorize. And secondly, it deals with matters that are really pretty profound. Its lesson has been cited over and over uh, since it first appeared in all sorts of contexts because it demonstrates how something seemingly incidental, like a missing horseshoe nail, can have very serious and dramatic consequences in the end. It has even been cited really just a few days ago in a news article, this very poem, uh, in regard to the situation in Afghanistan. So it's that uh, commonly used. Now, the record in the poem starts at the horseshoe nail end, and then it works its way up uh, to the loss of a kingdom. But it could begin at the other end. You could start this poem at the end of there was a kingdom that was lost and go down, back down to the horseshoe nail. But no matter how you approach it, the poem illustrates the potential progressive impact of one event on another. Events, great or small, always have what we call residual impact up and down the line, whether it involves something that is present or something that is missing. Now, the chain of consequences or the development of anything usually depends on each part or piece being present. And where that's the case, things run well and integrity is confirmed, But where pieces and parts are lacking, there's usually a breakdown of some sort, and all becomes unreliable. Take something like a simple recipe. If you leave out an ingredient, or you add too much of one, it may impact the taste or the appearance of what you're making, usually in a negative way. Uh, Being a man... I always think when I read a recipe, if you're supposed to put that this much in, if you go ahead and put that much in, it won't make that much difference. But uh, sometimes it makes a huge difference when you do that. I always think a little more won't hurt, but sometimes it does. Now, when we take the principle, that principle, of integrity from top to bottom, and we apply it to the subject we began talking about last week, that is making your calling and election sure or certain so that you're ready to go out into the world and demonstrate your, your love for God and others, not just in tongue and in word, but in deeds and in truth. When we apply this principle in that context, um, it becomes important. And we find Peter saying this, and I'll ask you to go ahead and turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. We're still there from last week, 2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to begin with verse 2 there, where Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, 
as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours, and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now perhaps you recall from last week, uh, and and maybe not if you weren't here, but we talked about uh, being able to trace the evidence of something back to its source. And I used the illustration of that uh, chalky, muddy, um, silty stain that flowed into Commencement Bay uh, back uh, last month uh, because of the glaciers up in Rainier. And I used it to show how you could follow that stain in the Puyallup, and actually in Commencement Bay, into the Puyallup River and back the Puyallup, Puyallup River all 45 miles to its source. The coffee-colored flow into the bay could be reliably traced all the way back to its point of origin. And you could say with certainty, this stain in Commencement Bay is the result of what's going on up here on Mount Rainier. Because you can follow that process all the way down until it flows into the bay. Now here in 1 Peter, I mean 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter starts at what we might term the other end. He starts at the source He starts at the top end, and then he brings us all the way down into the manifestation of what comes from the top end in our lives. And he says to all who are securely in Jesus Christ by faith, this in verse 2, to all of you who are in Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And the first thing to take note of is you look at that statement, and it's a common statement, you hear it all the time, but the first thing to take note of here is the singular nature of what Peter says. He's not addressing the church as a body, but the individual believer as a Christian. He's not saying to just any of you who are part of any church, grace and peace be multiplied to you. He's saying to you, you individual Christian who has a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you. It's not a blanket statement being thrown out over the church in general. It's a specific commendation to each and every believer. Now, for that individual believer, Peter is praying that grace and peace will be multiplied with the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And he puts it beautifully when he says, may it be multiplied to you. You know when you cut up a tomato 
the heart of that fruit is filled with seeds, isn't it? They're, they're all in there in that sort of uh, sticky uh, center. And each plant that produces those fruits is set from one seed. But as that fruit grows, that seed is multiplied. And in each tomato, there will be found anywhere from 150 to 300 seeds in each tomato. And a good plant produces 20 to 30 tomatoes. So we'll take the low numbers here. If it was our tomato plants, we'd even have to take a lower number. But (laughs) we'll take low numbers here. One tomato seed, taking the low numbers here on average, produces 3,000 seeds in the fruit it produces. So you take that one seed, you put it in the earth, and that one seed produces 3,000 seeds. And that's the sort of abundant multiplication that Peter is referring to here. The believer's familiarity with God through the Lord Jesus Christ is is a rich and abundant producer of grace and peace. One blessing of grace, of unmerited favor, follows another, mounting up and growing and providing an abundance of peace and of confidence and of security. It's the result of that, that grace and peace being multiplied to us by the Lord, just like that seed is multiplied. Deacon Peters and I were talking about uh, justice reality last week. Every time we look for something in the world to supply um, the blessings of security or peace or, or confidence um, in some sort of lasting and satis- satisfying way, it falls short. No matter how precious it may be, no matter how important it may be to us, um, it, it disappoints or worse, um, it, it not only disappoints, but disillusions. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God, peace and security are really found. And it's by looking to him that we find it, not by looking out into the world. We look into the most trusted thing of the wor- in the world, and it's bound to come short. We look to Jesus Christ And we're bound to have that security and that confidence that we need. Our God is said to us by the prophet Ezekiel, and this is Ezekiel chapter 37, beginning with verse 26. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will establish them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Indeed, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And it's that covenant relationship that brings the peace and security that the believer enjoys. So Paul offers this benediction to God's people in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 3, verse 16. He says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way, the Lord be with you all. So First Peter here is saying, may the peace, the grace and peace of the Lord be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the expectation 
that every Christian may have. Everyone who has what is called here by Peter, the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, Peter is being specific in what he's saying. He's not talking about a general knowledge, but he's talking about a personal and active one. Now, let me try to illustrate that a little bit. If I told you I bought a box of cereal with a tiger pictured on it, or I told you that I bought a truck with a ram's head on the hood, or I told you that I, um, I bought a shirt with a stylish check mark on it, you could probably tell me exactly where I purchased it and what I bought. Let's just take one. If I bought a box of cereal with a tiger on it, what was it probably that I bought? Yeah, Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, Corn Flakes. The point is, you're so thoroughly acquainted with those logos and their brands that just seeing those symbols supplies all the information you need because you're so thoroughly familiar with it. And it's that very sort of familiarity, but on a much deeper and much intimate level, that that Peter speaks of here in regards to the true believer and God and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the believer becomes so intimately familiar with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that he knows him. And so when he sees something happen in his life or her life, he or she says, that's the hand of God. That's the work of God. I recognize that. That's God's doing. They look out over the whole world and they see what's going on in the world and they look at that and they, they're, they're sometimes puzzled by what's happening, but they understand this is the hand, this is the work of God. God has a purpose and a design in it. And, and when that purpose and design becomes understandable, they, through, through the word of God, they receive it and they give thanks for it. Those who know Christ, who know God in that way, are those who know the constant and consistent outpouring of grace and peace, he says. So remember, we're at the headwaters of the manifestation of our faith. And those headwaters regard our having grace and peace multiplied to us because we know God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an intimate and personal relationship with him. Well, how does this occur? How do you get that kind of relationship with the Lord? Well, Peter explains. He says in verse 3, I'm going to read verse 2 just to lead us into it. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, if you're in Christ this morning, if your calling and election is certain, and you have this grace and peace supplying relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then according as his divine power has given to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through your knowledge of Jesus Christ, you 
manifest the life of Christ in you. In your personal knowledge and understanding of God and Jesus Christ, you've been supplied by his divine power with all that has to do with being alive and being devout. Being alive as a Christian and being holy as a child of God. His divine power supplies the Christian, says Lily, with whatever is needed for the production, preservation, growth, and perfection of life and godliness. So that divine power provides these things for us. Everything that's needed to produce, to preserve, to grow, and to protect life and godliness in the believer. And here's where we get down to what we've been talking about. Tracing things from their source and establishing their genuineness and their uh, reliability. And I'm afraid I'm going to have to sit down. I hate to do that. But I don't want to fall down. Let me repeat what I said. Here's where we get down to what we have been talking about. And that is tracing things from their source and establishing their genuineness and their reliability on or by the proof that what we possess actually comes to us from the legitimate source. When the life we're living has its roots in this very real and this very personal relationship with God, we'll be found producing fruit that's appropriate to that. Okay, so if that's where my root is, I'm making this profession of faith as a Christian. If the root of that profession of faith rests in the knowledge and understanding the personal relationship I have with Christ, with God through Christ, then appropriate fruit is going to come forth from that. Who has the promise of a steady flow of grace and peace? Who who has the promise of that, according to Peter? Those who have an intimate and thorough knowledge of God in Christ. And who does that relation, or where does that relationship and knowledge come from? Well, it comes from God, who by his divine power, and in no other way, gives to the believer everything he or she needs to be lively and devout. It it comes from that intimate and thorough knowledge that we have that's given to us by divine power, not by anything we do or anything we say. Now, notice that the end of the Christian's calling is to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. It's the confidence of a glorious eternal life one for you at the cross by and through Jesus Christ, a life of eternal virtue or holiness. So what we're saying here is, just like that stain in Commencement Bay that is the result of granite and silt being dragged down from, Mount, from the glaciers, glaciers on Mount Rainier down the Puyallup River into Commencement Bay, when you come to if you have this relationship with the Lord, 
this intimate and close relationship with the Lord, and you follow it all the way down, what does it result in? A a life of eternal glory and holiness. That's what it results in. The opening of heaven to the saints, that is, those made holy by Christ, is described beautifully in the prophecy of Isaiah. I'm reading now from Isaiah chapter 35, beginning with verse 8. There Isaiah says, in the name of the Lord, A highway shall be there, and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there. But the redeemed shall walk there, and the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Now, beloved, notice how it says in verse 10, A highway shall be there, and a road and it shall be called a highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass on it, for it shall be for others. When Peter speaks of Christians being called by divine power to receive everything necessary for life and godliness, to glory and virtue, he's speaking of being made fit, beloved, through faith in Jesus Christ, to travel this highway of holiness. That's what it is, of fitting you through Jesus Christ to walk this holy highway. Nothing unclean can pass over it, and no sin can enter the eternal Mount Zion of heaven. In Isaiah 51 and verse 11, There the prophet says in the name of the Lord, So the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So now think of the picture we have here. We have this great grace of God, multiplying grace and peace to those he's given a knowledge of himself through the Lord Jesus Christ who by divine power he has given a life of glory and virtue and the end of that life, where it ends up, is on this highway, this holy highway into the eternal glory of God, into heaven. As those whose, whose faith, whose life, whose Christianity, whose hope begins there with God, that you can follow all the way down to this flow where they'll be on this holy highway and on their way to heaven. Now, as I bring you this illustration, I want you to realize I'm familiar with all the pictures from the late 19th and early 20th centuries of climbers on Mount Rainier. I've seen those pictures. Well, it's just... Put that aside for a moment. Uh, don't let that uh, interfere or distract you and have you want to say, wait a minute, Pastor, I've seen people like that. Don't, uh, don't, don't be distracted by that, okay? So 
now, here's the illustration. Let's say that tomorrow morning, uh, you and I are scheduled to climb Mount Rainier. We've made an appointment. We're going to get together. We're going to climb Mount Rainier. And we're going all the way to the summit, all the way to the top. Tomorrow morning, you pull into the Paradise parking lot, and there I am, leaning against the Hummer, waiting for you, and looking just like this. My tie cinched up nicely. My suit Sorry about that. My suit on, and here I am, ready to climb Mount Rainier with you. What are you thinking when you see me? leaning against the Hummer, waiting for you. You're thinking, what is he thinking? (laughs) Is he really planning on going up to the summit of the mountain like that? He can't be. Something must have happened and he can't go. That That must be it. No, I can tell by his dress and his utter lack of appropriate equipment that he's not going with us. Man, he can't get up there without a cane at least. And he probably needs a wheelchair and maybe even a helicopter at this point to get up to the top of that mountain. And no oxygen, no rope, no cleats, no goggles. Who's he trying to fool that he's going to climb this mountain? You know this, if I think I'm going to go up that mountain with nothing but my suit and my tie, I'm fooling myself. Now, here's what Peter is doing, beloved. He's saying, take a look in the mirror of God's word. Do you look like someone who is about to climb Mount Zion on the holy highway that no unclean clean thing will be able to go? When you look in the mirror of the word, you say, look at me, I'm ready to go. Um, I'm on that highway, that holy highway, and I'm, I'm on my way. Is there realistic evidence now, beloved, is what Peter is asking, that you have, by divine power, been given everything that pertains to life and godliness and have been called in Christ Jesus to glory and virtue? Do you appear ready to climb Mount Zion, or are you still in your street clothes and imagining that you're ready to make that hike upwards? Now, we're not talking about perfection here, but we're talking about an apparent readiness that exhibits itself in those characteristics which become those who have been given by divine power everything that pertains to life and godliness. If we have that, then there should be the manifestation of certain things that that give evidence of the reality of that. And just like you might approach me in the morning and help me assess my readiness by offering a checklist, that's exactly what Peter is doing here for you and me. But before we take a quick look at that, let's remind ourselves why we're doing this. And uh, consider these words of Peter here right now. 
Beloved, we're talking about pushing open the doors of this church and entering a dark and dying world under the influence, that is, the world is under the influence, of a diabolical and wicked enemy. We're talking about pushing open those doors and going out there and wrestling with principalities and powers in the name of Jesus Christ and bringing the message of light and life to those who are in need. And simply put, beloved, you and I must be sure we are ready for the holy road before we go out and contend with such forces. My heart was stirred when uh, I saw, as I'm sure many of you did, the blurred face of a Christian missionary out in Afghanistan. And that Christian missionary was saying, we're not leaving. We're staying here to do the work of Christ. Everybody else is talking about fleeing. Everybody else is talking about the danger of confronting the Taliban. And here's this Christian missionary on social media, his face blurred for his protection, but saying, we're staying. We're here for the cause of Christ. We're here for the testimony of Jesus Christ. You can make claims like that out of bravado in some circumstances, but I don't think you can do it in those. Not with your head literally on the line. If we're going to do this together, if we're going to push open those doors and, and we're going to go out there and we're going to assault this kingdom of darkness with deeds of love in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the truth of the gospel, we need to be sure first, each of us individually, that we're on the road and we're fit for that holy road. So how do we do that? Well, by making our calling and election sure, Peter says. Well, how do we do that? Well, when we've been called to this life of glory and virtue, when this divine power has supplied us with everything that pertains to life and godliness, then we can look at ourselves and say, I've been given exceedingly great and precious promises, as Peter says here in verse 4, that through you, that is through us, we may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, and by, and but also for this very reason give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and so on. In other words, those who are ready aren't standing around their worldly street clothes waiting to start the climb. But you're already demonstrating those things which confirm that you are ready, that you are on the holy road, and you're not just being short-sighted. I have the evidence that I'm going into that kingdom because I have the evidence of kingdom work in me now. And I see it. As partakers of divine nature, and we'll talk next time more about what that means. 
We've not only escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, but that divine nature, Christ in you, beloved, manifests itself. And Peter says, make your calling and election sure by giving all diligence to add to your faith virtue. Do that. Look and see. Is, is this really manifested in me? I say I have faith. Well, is virtue the, the result of that faith? And does that faith lead all the way down to love after brotherly kindness? Love to those who are out there. And if we have the evidence of all that streaming all the way back up to where we started, then we're on sound ground to move forward. Remember where we started this morning. Significance of something missing or the missing of a step in something. This might seem like a methodical process that we're on, and it is. But beloved, the work requires it. It's not easy to show love to God and mankind by deeds and truth unless you're truly prepared for the work. It's not easy, beloved. If you find yourself floundering or you find yourself stuck or uninterested or without divine energy, especially in these critical times, it is wise, it is a good thing to pause and track backward to the source of our zeal and our strength in such things. If it really is my passion to reach out to this dark world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I can trace that back to where that passion comes from. And it comes from my Savior who looked out in the multitudes and was moved with compassion. As we said last week, the Christian has nothing to lose and nothing to fear in doing such a survey. And the non-Christian has everything to gain. It's appropriate to find in those called to trek all the way to Zion evidence of ready preparedness outfitted climbers should appear so even now Paul writing to the Romans says in verse 13 love does no harm to a neighbor therefore love is the fulfillment of the law and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed the night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. And go out into the world showing the love of God and love for others in Christ's name, not in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth. But before we go out there, I mean, before we commit ourselves, we need to be sure that we're all on the road in the power of Christ by the grace of God. Because that's where our strength will come from. That's where the, the evidence of the love will come from in our lives. And that's what will enable us to say, under hopefully less threatening circumstances, but difficult ones, I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm staying right here. And I'm bearing witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. I'm bringing light and life into this dark world 
by faith through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that as we continue to trace these things out, that, Lord, you will bless them to our hearts. Father, it delights us when we look for the manifestations of the Spirit in our lives and we see evidence of your word at work in us. It grieves us, Lord, when we see that sometimes it is absent and sometimes it burns low. And we pray, Lord, that you would grant every believer here a fresh sight of the character of their faith and that seeing the evidence of Christ in them, they will diligently strive to see it more and more manifested in their lives so that, Lord, we might carry the love of Christ into a loving and hateful world. And Father, if through examination someone looks today into the mirror of the word and says, I'm not ready, I'm not fit for that holy road because I have no redeeming faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, they would turn and with repentance and with love and with faith call upon you to give them that new life through Jesus Christ, that intimate personal knowledge of yourself through him, that their lives might be filled with this divine power, that they might have all things that are necessary, that pertain to life and, and, and godliness. And Lord, through that, that they may be on that path to glory and may become a powerful and effective witness for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in the hearts of men in this dark world. Father, help us, prepare us, strengthen us, equip us, and send us. Be with those who are doing this work. Bless them and encourage them in it. Father, uh, with each step of, of testimony, may they be encouraged to take a further step. And Lord, may you be glorified in it all. These things we ask, Lord, for your kingdom's sake, for your great name's sake, for our blessing, and for the blessing of your elect. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.